Hello and welcome to the FT's Big Deal channel sponsored by Baker McKenzie. In this episode, we're looking at how the rise of environmental, social and governance considerations, ESG, is affecting global deal making and influencing the way acquirers view and select targets. We'll also look at how those acquirers perform due diligence on potential targets and how this differs across regions. I'm Satwant Panda and joining me today to discuss these themes are Alyssa Aubergé, Chief Sustainability Officer of Baker McKenzie based in Paris, Robert Wright, partner from the Baker McKenzie Asia Pacific M&A Group based in Hong Kong, and Avi Mayrotra, Global Head of Activism and Shareholder Advisory and Takeover Defence Practices at Goldman Sachs in New York. Thank you for all joining. So there is no doubt that ESG has moved into the mainstream in the financial world in just a few years. Ali, I'm going to start with you. To what extent is ESG playing a role when it comes to M&A? I'd say that ESG factors are becoming increasingly important in, in M&A activity, probably globally, but certainly from where I sit in Europe. So because purchasers really need to be cognizant of the risks that they could be inheriting when they acquire a target, and given the increased importance of ESG generally, whether it's you know from that reporting standpoint or the impact of business practices throughout the supply chain, it really can't be ignored. Okay. And Avi, what's your view from the U.S.? In the U.S., ESG is starting to become a consideration, as Ali suggested, but it's not yet at the point where companies are choosing to do deals or not to do deals simply based on ESG factors alone. The main drivers for M&A remain strategic fit and the financial impact of the transaction, as in, is it financially accretive to your results? Also, increasingly, the threat of shareholder activism is an important consideration as companies think about which M&A targets to pursue and which business segments they choose to keep or divest from their portfolios. The role of ESG as an M&A driver will undoubtedly grow over time, but at least in the US, it isn't the primary reason for our clients' M&A strategies for now. Okay, and Robert, what about in Asia? Is ESG a primary factor when it comes to deal making? Well, we've certainly seen the emergence of ESG as a key factor in markets across APAC, particularly in the public market space with the emergence of regulatory reporting requirements and other stakeholder pressures. Although experiences generally vary across jurisdictions, it's probably fair to say that the key strategic drivers are still likely to be prioritised ahead of ESG, especially when we look at private M&A deals in the region, for example. We see governance as a well-entrenched area across developed markets in the region, while the E and the S certainly continue to gain traction. That said, investors do tend to play a significant role in driving outcomes in this space, and we've seen a major shift in the last five years or so by PE sponsors in the region. ESG principles are now generally baked into investment and value-add strategies. Robert, what are the main ESG drivers in the geographies you cover? Two of the main drivers include the influence of international capital and the expanding role of ESG disclosure requirements and the associated business risk of failing to meet relevant standards. In addition, we've seen the rise of tech and social media, which highlight consumer-driven outcomes, which are often focused around local community issues, such as pollution or unethical supply arrangements. In APAC, we're also seeing these drivers translate into reasonably impactful supply chain disclosure pressure. I think companies are already starting to understand the influence that they can have over their supply chains. Uh, and the press practices that they can potentially 
uh, put through their supply chains. And I think as that starts to develop further, I think people will look at ESG um, you know, much more from the standpoint of if I acquire this company, does it become ESG accretive or ESG dilutive to my company overall? Yeah, maybe I'd just like to add a, a maybe a slightly different perspective from Europe. I think we have a broader appreciation maybe of stakeholder capitalism here in Europe than, than what you might see in the U.S. But I think there's also huge consumer pressure and lots of expectations around ESG in general, around values and around purpose. And what we see is, you know, the younger generation of consumers really expect a lot from the brands that they support. There's a really big use of social media. If a consumer unearths an issue, that issue can go viral in pretty much no time. You know, I don't know if I take issue with what Ivy said about it being a reason to not do a deal. I would query that. I think if during the due diligence process, there were really egregious practices that came to light, notably like in the human rights space or the use of forced labor, I do think you'd be in sort of a no-go deal zone because there's just too much reputational risk on the line. I think we already were seeing this type of pressure on brands and on companies in the consumer sector from consumers prior to the pandemic. But COVID seems to have just like really put a huge magnifier on those issues because consumers, in addition to wanting to share values, they were also, I think, looking for more of a sense of community because there was a lot more connection online. So a lot more interaction with the brand. So I think that added to the, to sort of the ESG pressure and making sure that they share the same values. The point I wanted to pick up on that Ali mentioned, which I think is hugely important here, is capital is a big, big force uh, in terms of driving company behavior. And I think we live in really interesting times where you have an entire generation that cares about these issues in a, in a manner that is really different and, and much more profound than the prior generation. And they are going to become the savers uh, uh, and therefore the capital providers of tomorrow. And as they get into their, you know, uh, peak earning years, the amount of capital that they will have to put into the system uh, and to give to these asset managers is going to continue to grow. I think we all agree that ESG is growing in importance. Let's talk about the due diligence process and how the increasing importance of ESG is impacting that. Yeah, I think that the ESG part of the due diligence process is becoming increasingly important in much the same way that if you were to evaluate a company that you're acquiring, you would wanna make sure that there were things um, around cultural fit, social fit, uh, different philosophies on how the business is, businesses may be run together that are consistent with your own. And then I wanna pick up on the supply chain point um, that we had talked about earlier, which is that as companies start to understand the influence that they can have on their supply chains, I think it's important to know that if you are encountering or taking on a supply chain, uh, that can either improve your own behavior and your own ESG profile, or you're encountering a supply chain that you can potentially improve over time, that that can be a case that you can make to your investors and to your other stakeholders uh, that can be part and parcel of the M&A process. And Ali, talk to us about the risks. So I suppose we'd say that the enhanced or, you know, heightened due diligence on ESG factors could result in uncovering far more risks than maybe we did in the past. So, you know, 
glass half empty, there would be no deals getting done. But I think more realistically, or if we look more glass half full, so long as purchasers are really cognizant of, you know, when they're going into a deal of anything and everything that does lie behind the target company, so that they can, I'd say, apprehend the risk and then somehow address it. So they may be able to, you know, rehabilitate the practices of the target, for for example. I think that way deals will continue to get done, but there will be maybe more of a focus on remediation and then I'd say possibly a knock-on effect on valuation. So those would be the risks I would see. And Robert, to gain an accurate picture of ESG-related risks and opportunities, acquiring companies need to have good data. So how much is the lack of standardisation around ESG reporting a problem? Well, of course, putting in place a uniform approach to measuring ESG should make it easier for investors to value assets, assuming you recognise the correlation between ESG performance on the one hand and financial value creation on the other. Investors do have some challenges when it comes to assessing the metrics of ESG against appropriate standards. The reporting requirements do tend to vary from market to market. Companies generally report on different frameworks or standards, at times with limited transparency as to the direct link with financial performance. And ratings agencies also appear to weight different metrics in different ways. These factors naturally lead to greater scrutiny from investors. And we are seeing investors now calling out so-called greenwashing, as well as a general drive for increased transparency and greater reporting requirements uh, across a range of ESG metrics. Ultimately, whilst there are some great initiatives to consolidate reporting and data collection, it seems there's probably a little way to go before the data can be uniformly assessed and applied. The lack of standardization itself in the M&A context, I don't think is that big of a challenge because if you're going to diligence a target, you're going to want to look beyond sort of the face value of reporting anyway. It may not have as much of an impact on M&A as Ali suggested. But where I think it does have an impact is that there is a growth in capital that is focused on ESG. Uh, that capital wants to invest in companies that are more ESG friendly or more ESG responsible. And it's hard for that capital right now to sort out in a particular industry even uh, who is a better ESG uh, player versus who is a worse ESG player. There's no standardization around that. But I think over time, as standardization uh, increases, you can see a situation in which there will be more capital available to companies within a certain sector, certainly, that are more ESG compliant or more ESG friendly. Okay, so to sum up, Robert, how long do you think it will be before ESG factors become an integral part of M&A activity? Well, as ESG already features in financing deals across a number of sectors, we do expect that momentum to continue to flow through to M&A in the short to medium term, particularly driven by investors. Certainly a key space to watch from an M&A standpoint. I'd say it's imminent. I mean, mandatory environmental and human rights due diligence legislation is already in the works. Governance and purpose have now become more or less household words, so the time is now. And I would say that it's very much in the medium term. Uh, if the growth of ESG-oriented capital continues at the pace that we've seen, uh, it's going to be a very short time before this becomes much more in the mainstream across geographies rather than leading in certain geographies and perhaps a little bit further behind in others. 
Thank you. Ali, Robert and Avi, thank you so much for your time today. There's so much to say on this subject and it's been truly insightful hearing your views. And to our listeners, be sure to check out the other episodes in the series at bigdeal.ft.com.